Let's, uh, let's jump back, back into our series that we started a few weeks ago on the Ten Commandments. We're calling it the Timeless Ten. And today, do not murder. Uh, you know, as we continue our look at the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, let's, let's once again, because we, we need to make sure everybody understands this, let's re be reminded that following the Ten Commandments is not about earning your salvation. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Uh, it's not a test where, you know, if we can somehow manage to do well on at least six out of the ten, then we're good. That's not how it works. When we get to heaven, it's not like, it, does our good outweigh our bad? Um, now, now, salvation by the Ten Commandments is possible, is possible, but only if we follow every one of them perfectly from the day we're born till the day we die. <laughs> In other words, only if we live a perfect life and never ever sin. That would be the only way that you could be saved by following the Ten Commandments. So let me change what I just said. No, it is not possible. It is not possible to be saved by following the Ten Commandments because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as, as Paul told us. Jesus followed the Ten Commandments, though, he, and he did it perfectly, uh, meaning Jesus never sinned. He came down and show us, showed us how it's done. Uh, which is why our salvation comes to us <clears throat> when we place our faith in him. Jesus allowed his perfect life that he lived to be sacrificed on the cross as punishment for our sins. All the times we broke the Ten Commandments, that's what Jesus died for. And when we place our faith in him, God forgives our sins and he gives us our salvation. We don't have to earn it, he gives it to us by his grace. Now, in addition to that, let's just briefly mention the relevance of the entire Old Testament to our lives uh, as, uh, as Christians. Some might think, or maybe, they, maybe you've heard that, you know, when Jesus came, everything about the Old Testament became irrelevant. Don't even really need it anymore. Well, it is true that some things in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Old Testament law, are no longer needed or practiced or required by God. For example, when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for all, uh, the Old Testament practice of offering animal sacrifices at the temple was no longer needed. It was no longer required. They were simply a symbol of what Jesus would do when he came. When he gave his life, his sacrifice, animal sacrifices were no longer needed. Um, but much of the Old Testament is still relevant to our lives today. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, whenever you see the law or the prophets in the New Testament, that's basically the Old Testament. I, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to cancel the old way and then start a whole brand new thing. No, he came to fulfill or complete the Old Testament. Jesus was not the beginning of a brand new way. He was the completion, really, of the old way. And now it continues with, with him. So while some religious practices of the Old Testament are no longer required, we need to understand this. All, all of the moral commandments do still apply. It will always be a sin to lie and to steal and to commit adultery. And of course, 
our commandment for today. It will always be a sin to murder. And as we will see today, Jesus shows us exactly what it means to follow a commandment like do not murder and what he meant by that, what, what the intention of that command was. The Ten Commandments are, are not about salvation. They're not, they're not about being religious. They are about you and me living the kind of life that God intended for us to live. If we will seek to follow the Ten Commandments, our lives will be pleasing to God and our lives will be just better. They'll be better. There'll be less pain. There'll be less destruction, better relationships, better futures, healthier marriages, less anxiety, and no jail time. <laughs> no jail time. Yeah, if we seek to follow commandment number six, do not murder, we will never find ourselves on death row. <laughs> and we will never be the, the subject of a future dateline on television. Let's dive into commandment number six. We find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, one of the shorter commands. It just simply says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. First, let's talk about what murder is. Now, do not murder does not mean do not kill. You know, there's a source of contention in, in that among some, some, some people. You know, as much as we hate it, and as much as we want to avoid it, there are times when we may have no choice but to kill someone, to take someone's life. For example, when a police officer confronts a person who attacks them with deadly force, sometimes it becomes necessary for the police officer to defend themselves, which sometimes result in taking the person's life. But that is not murder. A person in the military who is defending our country and and is attacked by an enemy who is seeking to bring them or our country harm, sometimes the result is the death of the enemy. That is not murder. Murder is the act of taking a life without justification. So therefore, if you have a soldier who is in the middle of a battle and the enemy is shooting at him and he kills the enemy that's not murder but if the enemy surrenders holds his hands up drops his weapon and the soldier still kills the enemy that would be murder because that is an unjustified killing so as i as i think about the act of murder among our audience today uh those who are those of you who are here and those of you who are watching on facebook I, i'm going to guess that the murder rate among us pretty low. When you say, when you think, you think it's probably pretty low. Uh, from, from what I heard, uh, I've read uh, and heard many cities today measure their murder rate based on the rate per 100,000 people. Now, according to one site that uh, I went to uh, in, in 2019, remember 2019? Can you think back that far? Let's think about 2019 for a minute. Hmm. Okay, and back in 2019, the murder rate for Raleigh, North Carolina, was, or the, the number of murders in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2019 was 29, uh, 29 people. Now, based on, on 100,000 people, that would make Raleigh's murder rate, if I did the math right, about 0.03% in Raleigh in 2019, 0.03%. 
which is pretty low, pretty low, but still, that was 29 lives that were lost. Now, I don't know how many people are watching. I know how many are here, but I don't know how many people are out there watching today um, in this live stream. But I'm going to guess that the murder rate among us is pretty close to zero. <laughs> I sure hope it is anyway. So, so I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb too far to say that committing the act of taking a life, a life without justification is not a, it's just not a problem with us, those of us who are listening today and, and here today. Yet, before we just check this one off and let's, all right, let's move on to commandment number seven, as we consider what Jesus said about murder um, in his message that we call sometimes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, we would have to conclude as we look at what Jesus said, and we're going to talk about it this morning, we would have to conclude that 100% of us struggle in our life with the issue of murder. Here's what we discover from Jesus' teaching. There is a progression that leads to murder. You know, we, just, we don't wake up one, one day and say, you know what, I, I think I'm going to murder somebody today. Uh, you know, I, I, I hadn't even thought about it until right now, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to murder somebody. No, there's a progression that maybe lasts for years and it, 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 there's a time period where, where things build up, as we're going to talk about this morning, that, that happened to us before we ever get to, this, to the, the act of taking their life. There's a progression that leads to murder. And Jesus, we're going to see, is as concerned with the progression to murder as he is with the actual act of murder. In his eyes, the progression to murder is as sinful as the act of murder. So while we may not have ever taken a life, most of us here today are guilty of the progression that leads to it. We just never took that last step. So let's, let's take a look at what Jesus teaches about the progression to murder. First, murder is always preceded by hate. Murder is always preceded by hate. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And here we're not talking about uh, just our literal brother and sister, uh, but brother and sister in general. Anyone who hates a brother and sister is a murderer, John says. Uh, the, the apostle John says that if I hate you, I am a murderer. So some of us might think, well, okay, I, I guess. I guess that's probably true, but I'm not a big hater. Uh, so I guess I'm good, right? We can move on to commandment seven. Can we do that? But wait, the progression continues. Jesus tells us that it's not just about hate in the Sermon on the Mount. Hate is always preceded by anger. Anger. Let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And so I'm sure his audience was going, oh, well, yeah, that's probably true. So, Phew, at least that doesn't apply to me. But then he continues, verse 22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I'm sure that got people's attention. That might, that might apply to me. In Jesus' words, if you are angry, you have broken the commandment and are subject to the same punishment as murder. 
Let's take a look at, at the word Jesus uses here, particularly the tense of the word. That's, that's always important when you look at any language, but especially the Greek language. The tense of the Greek word anger here is to stay in the presence of. To stay in the presence of. It's not, I was angry, but now I'm not angry anymore. It's, I continue to be angry. I carry angry with me day after day. You know, this is important, it's important because as we see in Scripture, we can be angry and actually not sin. The, the, the emotion of anger is not necessarily sinful. Sometimes it's good. Uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, in your anger, do not sin, he says. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, here's the key to anger and sin. Don't let anger stay in the presence. That's the secret, in the present. Don't carry anger with you to the next day. You know, sometimes... Anger is called for, you know. Jesus was angry. God gets angry sometimes. Sometimes anger is called for, especially when someone commits a sin against us or against someone, someone else. But we need to, when we are angry, we need to go ahead and deal with it. To seek to reconcile it as soon as we can. So that when the sun goes down, we have put it behind us. You know, a great advice that I always give married couples when I'm doing premarital counseling is never go to bed angry. Some of you, I think, probably have that same rule. Yet we're never going to go to bed angry. That's a great rule until you have to stay up all night long and, and try to work it out. Um, uh, it, it's not always easy, but it's a fantastic rule because um, we, we need to make it a practice to deal with our anger. Whatever made us angry, we need to deal with it now, immediately. We need to talk it out. Not just in marriages, but in any relationship. Maybe the anger was called for. It was justified. But we don't need to harbor it in our heart for long. Because if we do, if we do, Paul tells us what's going to happen. We will give Satan an invitation to have a foothold in our lives. He loves it when we get angry and we hang on to it. He will be more than happy to just hand you wood for the fire, hand you gallons of gasoline to pour on it. He loves to give you fuel for your anger. And as you do that, it drives you farther and farther apart from whoever you're angry with. Anger held in our hearts uh, never stays the same, does it? You know, it, it always festers and grows and get, gets worse as Satan hands us fuel to throw on it. So to prevent that, we've got to deal with anger soon so we can put it behind us. Anger becomes a sin when it is unresolved. When it is unresolved. Anger can be like boiling water. You know, when you put a, a, a pot of water on the stove, what happens, uh, you know, as, as, you, as you watch the progression of a pot of boiling water? At first, it seems fine, right? At first, it looks like just a normal pot with some water in it. But as it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, what happens? What happens? Eventually, it boils over, doesn't it? 
and, and it, it spews all out all over the place, and it, it could cause burns, it, could, uh, it, it just causes a mess, doesn't it? At first it seemed fine, but then it just boils over the top, and, and what a mess it is. You, you ever known someone who seems like they're always just near the boiling point all the time? And, and they boil over with rage over the smallest little thing? The clerk didn't make the change just right. And you let them have it. Someone didn't move the exact moment the light turned green. Bab! Come on, move, you moron. The towels weren't folded right again. <laughs> have you ever blown up? Do you seem to blow up a lot? If your spouse felt safe to answer honestly, would they say that they feel like they're walking on eggshells around you all the time because they're afraid that you're going to blow up at the smallest thing? You know, anger becomes a sin when it is unresolved. And if you seem to be angry a lot over almost anything, then likely there is an unresolved anger somewhere deep inside you. And it's not about the guy who didn't move when the light turned green. It's something deeper. Christ Church of the Valley uh, in Arizona, uh, Pastor Ashley Woodruff, Woodruff um, said this, <clears throat> anger becomes lethal when it becomes luggage. Anger becomes lethal when it becomes luggage. When we pack it up and carry it around with us everywhere we go. You know, in Jesus' lesson on the Sixth Commandment, we see that it's not about murder, really. It's about the anger inside that is the cause of murder. So let's explore Jesus' lesson on anger. What does Jesus mean by anger? A tantrum? When we lay down on the floor and kick our legs and our face turns re green or red or green red and we're screaming we got our teeth gritted is that what he's talking about anger you know most of us don't do that we haven't had that kind of anger since we were a kid <laughs> well to help us out when he talks about anger and what that looks like jesus gives us two examples of what he's talking about Verse 22, Matthew 5, 22, first. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, how many of us have, have, have done this? Any, when was the last time you called somebody Raka? I'm, I mean, it's been, it's been a long time since I called anybody Raka. I, I can't even remember when that was. Uh, likely, none of us have ever called somebody Raka. But remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish first century audience. Uh, so we, we would need to translate raka into something that an American 21st century person might say that would be equivalent. Raka was an Aramaic word that basically meant empty-headed or dumb. Dumb. So what would we, what would we use that would be an equivalent word or phrase that, that might express that same feeling? We could probably think of a few things like, man, he is about as dumb as a bag of rocks. You ever said that? How about, not the brightest light on the tree, that one, mm-mm. And how about my favorite, 
few fries short of a happy meal, right? He's a few fries short of a happy meal. In, in, in Jewish culture, uh, this was a minor offense to call somebody dumb, uh, as, as it would be today when we might use a term like that too. Yet Jesus identifies this as a sign of anger. Something we might think is just minor, something you do, just be funny sometimes. Sometimes a person uh, that stirs up an emotion, uh, you know, that, that would make us insult their intelligence, Jesus is identifying as a sign of anger. Uh, in Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Think about how you speak of others in your day. Do you do that fre frequently when you speak of others? Do you, do you speak of people's lack of intelligence often? Especially compared to you. You know, we're the smartest people in the world. Everybody else are morons, right? Let's be honest. That's what we think sometimes. What, what is that saying about our heart if we're constantly putting down people's intelligence? But then Jesus gives us a second example. In the second part of verse 22, if anyone who's, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this one seems a little harsher because the, 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 the penalty for this one is the fires of hell. Now, again, what's, what's the difference between Raka and you fool? Well, again, we're talking about a first century audience. So some scholars think that while Raka insults your intelligence, you fool insults your heart or your character. Your character. Now, which is worse, to insult someone's intelligence or to insult their character. Most of us would say it's worse if you insult my character. Speaking words that insult who I am as a person. What is in your heart that would cause you to speak words to seek to harm someone's character? Could it be anger that we carry around with us? Not necessarily towards the person we're talking about. <laughs> But lingering, never-resolved anger that affects lots of things in our life, even the way we talk about the people in our lives. Jesus is telling us, yes, anger can be the source of insults. So let's consider one thing, that, uh, one more thing that precedes murder. Now, while anger leads to hate, which leads to murder, anger is always a secondary emotion. Anger is always preceded by an offense. An offense. If you find that you are angry, it's because someone offended you. Something they said, something they did that offended you, something that hurt you. That's where the anger came from. It's an offense of some kind that caused your anger. The Greek word for offense used in the New Testament is the word scandalon. Scandalon. It means stumbling block or rock of offense 
rock of offense. Jesus said that in, said in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Now, the phrase cause people to stumble is the word scandalon. Scandalon. And scandalon, Jesus said, is going to happen. Scandalon happens. There's nothing that we can do to avoid scandalon, being offended. We, we're, 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 there's scandal on, on the road when people pull out in front of us and don't go fast enough at the traffic light. There, there's scandal on at work because everybody there is an idiot and not as smart as we are. Uh, there's scandal on at home when you got a, a man and a woman uh, who often are opposites of each other. Boy, there's lots of scandal on offense at home, isn't there? That's just, that's the way it is. Jesus said you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. It happens. We all experience it. But let's look at one more glaring characteristic of this word, scandalon. What does the word scandalon sound like? Scandal, doesn't it? Or scandalous. Scandal. You know, for some, scandalon, or the rock of offense that we face in life, is much more than just some little stone that, that we, that's in our path and we just get past it and don't think about it. Now, for many, the scandalon, the rock of offense in our life is a real scandal. It's a real scandal. A scandal that, that doesn't just go away after a few minutes or a couple of days. It's not just a small stone. It's a huge boulder that we're holding. It's the divorce that we went through, the unfaithfulness that led to it, the, the nasty attitude and all the ugly things that were said during that divorce process. It's the abuse, the abuse that you experienced when you were a child or during a marriage. It, it, it's the abandonment that you experienced as a child from a parent. It's a real scandal in your life. For many, it's these huge rocks, these huge scandals, or maybe a group of smaller ones that sort of add up to a huge scandal that stand in your way and keep you angry all the time. So let's take a moment right now and think, big or small, big or small, what rock of offense is in your path right now? And whatever that scandalon is, there are three things that we do when we face them. Three things that generally happens. First, the, first, the number one thing, we, or one, the first thing we might do is just step over it and move on. We step over it and move on. Not a big deal. You know, we get to work and you, we can't believe everybody at work forgot our, my birthday. I mean, we always celebrate everybody's birthday and nobody even remembered it. But you know what? My husband remembered it, and we're having a party tonight. So, oh, well, not a big deal. We'll move on. So we might step over it and move on, or we might trip over it. All right, there's the, the rock of offense, and we come up to it, and it trips us up a little bit. So, in other words, we deal with it for a day or two, for a day or two, but then we move on. Man, my boss really spoke rudely to me, and, and I just did not deserve that. It, it just wasn't right. And so you steam over that for a day or two. But then the boss came and he sort of apologized. And he praised you for your second effort. 
And so, oh, well, I'll just put it behind me and I'll move on. But then the third way we deal with it sometimes is probably the, the most frequent way we deal with it is we come to the rock and we don't step over it and we don't trip over it. We reach down and pick it up. And then we try to chunk it back <laughs> at the offender. You know, we, 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 we send an email to our boss's boss to tell them what our boss did. I'll show you. Watch this, Mr. Boss Man. And not only do we seek revenge, but, but we play show and tell with our rock of offense. Remember show and tell back when you were a kid? At Christmas time, you brought your whatever you got for Christmas to school and you showed everybody what you, what you got. Well, we do that with our rock of offense sometimes. We go to our coworkers and we carry in our rock and we say, look what he did to me. Can you believe it? We go home and we go to church and we go to the grocery store and anybody that we can get cornered somewhere, we show them, can you, you see what my boss did to me? Our, our kids see it when we explode at them because they were a little bit too loud in the back seat. The store clerk sees it when we tell them how incompetent they are. And the more we show it, the angrier we get. Often we start hanging out with other people who are carrying the same rock we are. You know, and we sit around and we hold our rocks and we all wallow in our same anger together. Sometimes couples do that. A married person does that when they're having marital issues. They go hang out with somebody else that's having marital trouble. And they both wallow in each other's sorrow and anger together and it just grows and grows and grows. And more than anything, we want to hurt the person who hurt us. And we think that the way we can hurt that person is by continuing to hold the rock and continuing to show it to everybody. That's how we hurt them. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Who are we hurting when we are the one holding the rock? The only one that we're hurting is us, not the offender. We're hurting ourselves because this rock is heavy. It's difficult to keep holding it and carrying it around. Our arms get tired. It makes us tired. It makes us weary. It hurts our other relationships. It steals our joy. It makes us unpleasant to be around. Nobody wants to be around someone who can't stop talking about their rock. Who's always angry about something. Who can never be pleased no matter what you do. And it's no wonder that they're so angry because they're so tired. You know, that's when we're most likely to lose our temper, isn't it? When we're tired. Isn't that when you get short with your husband or your wife or your kids when you're tired? And constantly bearing the weight of your rock of offense makes you tired. Holding on to the rock of offense only hurts you, and it hurts the people in your life. It never hurts the one who hurt you. Often they don't even know you're carrying it. And if they do, sometimes, and usually they don't even care. And sometimes they aren't even alive anymore. 
The only person who's being hurt is you. So what do we need to do to get rid of this anger that lingers in our hearts that we carry around with us everywhere we go? The answer is simple, but it's very difficult to do. We need to let the rock go. To just drop it. Just drop it. You know, the antidote to anger is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness means to be pardoned from our sin. God releases us from the penalty of our sin. He lets go of our offense to him. He just lets it go. He doesn't hold on to it anymore. And God calls us to do the same thing when others offend us. To release it. To let it go. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget it. You know, a lot of people say, forgive and forget. That's what the Bible says. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The <laughs> Bible doesn't say we have to forget it. Because we can't forget it. You can't forget some of these scandals that are in your life. As time goes by, and if, if, if you can forgive, maybe the memory gets less and less, but you can't. Forgiveness doesn't mean forget it. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we're saying what they did was okay. And that we've got to now let them back into our life. Because it wasn't okay. And maybe you don't, have, don't ever let them back in your life. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to trust them again. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. Forgiveness is something you can do right now. Trust is something that takes time. And, and the person who offended you has to earn it. And maybe they never do. Maybe they never do. So, so forgiveness doesn't mean you have to trust them again. You know, I've heard so many people who have done this, who have let it go. Who just decided to just let it go. To stop the show and tell. And they talk about what a relief it was. What a relief it was to no longer be carrying around this huge, heavy rock all the time. Finally, there's peace in my life. Finally, they could think of something else besides that. Finally, they were no longer blowing up at every little thing. A couple of things to keep in mind about forgiveness that may hamper our forgiveness. With forgiveness, if you have a hard time giving it, it may be because you've had a hard time receiving it. Maybe you look at God's promise to forgive and you think, yeah, there's no way God could ever forgive me. Not after all I've done, not, not after the way I behaved when I was in college or, or the way I lived my life before I knew Jesus as my Savior, or the way I was living last week. <laughs> yeah, God, God could never forgive me. And so because we think God could never forgive us, we have a hard time forgiving others. And secondly, if you think you have to earn your forgiveness from God, you will require others to earn your forgiveness. And just as it's impossible for you to earn your forgiveness from God, you can't do it no matter how hard you try, it is equally impossible for others to earn yours. They can't do it. You can't take back what you did to God. 
it, it's an, it, it was done, and there's no way you can go back and erase it. it, it you can't take it back. And others can't take back what they did to you. It's impossible. And it would never be good enough anyway, no matter how hard they tried. Forgiveness cannot be earned. God gives forgiveness to us. We don't deserve it, but he just gives it to us when we put our faith in Jesus. We don't deserve it. And we must give others what they do not deserve. No, maybe they don't deserve it. But we're called by God to do it anyway, just as he has done for us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, For if you forgive other, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pretty plain from Jesus there. Forgiveness doesn't mean that 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 person, that person has to say they're sorry. You know, there's no condition. I'll forgive you if you say you're sorry. Forgiveness doesn't require that. Forgiveness can just between, be between you and God. It doesn't even have to involve the other person. Now, it might be nice to go and tell them, you know, I've decided I'm going to forgive you. And that might be a good thing. And that might help mend some, some bridges. But but. It doesn't have to be that way. It can just be between you and God. You just decide, I am no longer holding this rock. I'm dropping it today. And I'm never going to pick it up again. Jesus gives us two things that we can do that can help us deal with our anger. If we go back and read Matthew 5, 23 through 26, uh, we, we can see that Jesus talks about worship, and he says, All right, for example, before you come to worship, you need to deal with your rock. Now, in, the, in, in his case, he's talking about you're the cause of the offense. So if you're the cause of the offense, you go to the person you offended, and you reconcile before, they, before, before it gets worse. But in the same way, in the same way, if you're the one who was hurt, if you're the one who was offended, you must be ready to let it go, whether they come to you or not. You must be ready to forgive. And secondly, Jesus calls us to do, to do this quickly. Do it quickly. Again, if you're the offender, before they take you to court, go make, go make it right. Go make it right. But if you're the one who is offended, you got to drop the rock quickly before it festers, before it grows. Don't let it linger. Let it go. Forgive. Why? Because Jesus is saying, how can you worship me if you're holding on with all your might to this rock? How can you worship me if you're gripping this rock? How can you focus on God and your relationship with him if all your focus is on this rock, this hurt that you have? Holding the rock is exhausting. And it's no wonder that you can't focus when you go to church or when you try to read, hear what God is saying to you through his word. It's no wonder that you're always blowing up with your kids and your spouse and your coworkers. It's, it's because you're exhausted from holding the rock. Let it go and let it go quickly. It's the only way that you will ever find the peace that you need 
and rid your life of the anger that lives inside of you. Now, for some, you know exactly what this rock is. <laughs> as soon as I started talking about it, you're going, yep, yep, I know, I, mm-hmm. I know exactly what's causing this anger inside of me. You know exactly who you need to forgive. You've just got to trust God to do it. Maybe you've known all along, I need to forgive this person, but huh, I don't think I want to because I like holding on to my rock. You've got to just trust God to know he's wiser than us. He knows what's best for us. Just trust him and do what you need to do. Forgive them. Drop the rock. And ask God to give you the strength to do it, to trust him. Now, for others, maybe you don't really know why you're angry all the time. You know you're angry all the time, but you really don't know why. Maybe your rock of offense happened in your life when you were a child. And you don't really remember it. Or, or maybe you've just kind of pushed it back and chosen to forget about it. All you know is just you're angry all the time. You just don't know why. Maybe you need some help understanding what your rock of offense is. So I would say to you, come talk to me. I'm not a trained expert in, in this, so... Uh, Come talk to me, and we'll try to find someone who can help you understand what your rock of offense is, where your anger is coming from, and how you can drop it, release it. Maybe we've never murdered someone, but Jesus is clear. If we harbor anger, we face the same judgment. So let's be mindful of the anger that we have and be quick to let it go. Whether it's just a little stone or a huge boulder, let go of the burden and forgive. Father God, I thank you for your forgiveness. We don't deserve it, Lord. We have sinned against you so many times. But because of what your son did for us on the cross... You And when we put our faith in you, you just let it go. Every time, every time, you just let it go. And you love us, and you embrace us, and we try harder next time. Lord, help us to do the same for others in our lives. Help us to, to not be so offensive, to not be so insulting, uh, to, to put our anger behind us quickly whenever flares up and lord if there's someone here today help us all to just just take a look at our lives and see is there a rock that i'm holding that affects my life maybe we know what it is maybe we're not so sure but help us to pray to you and ask you to show us what it is and and when we discover it to just let it go give us the strength to be able to do that because it's not easy because we do feel like that holding on to it somehow hurts the other person. But help us to know that it just hurts us. And so give us the strength to let it go. Father, give, give if someone needs guidance to, to understand where their anger comes from, help, help us to be able to help them find it uh, so they too can let it go. Father, we thank you so much for the forgiveness you give us. Help us to be willing to give forgiveness to others.
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.